Global Broadcasting Networks presents Coach Talk Radio. Create the time, money, and lifestyle you want with tips, tricks, and techniques that get you started today from some of the best Internet minds in the business. Now, here are your hosts, Internet brand strategist Sandra Beck. Hey, guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck, and this is the fourth in a series of writing seminars that we are putting together on Coach Talk Radio with my lovely co-host, Angela Breidenbach. Now, Angela is amazing in her own right, and Angela, I'm going to let you introduce yourself because you've got an awful lot of credits and an awful lot of credibility. (laughs) Thank you. Um, uh, my name is Angela Breidenbach, and my website is AngelaBreidenbach.com, and that is spelled B-R-E-I-D-E-N-B-A-C-H. I'm the president of the Christian Authors Network. I have fun with a little bit of cat comedy on social media, so if you just like to smile, follow me on Facebook or Twitter or Pinterest, and I just go under Angela Breidenbach or Ange, A-N-G-B-R-E-I-D-E-N-B-A-C-H, and the reason is my name is so doggone long. I've written about 13 books, and I write things that range from um, Christian sweet historical romance, a lot of times set in Montana, but sometimes other places. And I also write some contemporary romance and some nonfiction, which is intended to, you know, make the world a better place, and especially for um, reaching out and leaving a legacy and overcoming the the sense of victimhood so that we have a a confidence, courage, and candor, you know, with grace under pressure. And so I have a podcast that is Grace Under Pressure Radio, and I have a lot of fun with it. And the the whole goal is not to have so much a weekly podcast for me, but to have one that is in seasons because I write and I speak, and so I travel a lot. And so when I have a topic that's near and dear to my heart, I simply – Put it on the podcast as a season. <laughs> See, I love that. And, you know, you have such a breadth of knowledge and you have such a a, a variety in your background. It, it, it makes it a lot of fun to do this series with you because you are both self-published and a published author. So you've kind of really gone the gamut and you've been doing this for quite a while. So today's topics of plots and subplots, which I really think, you know, sometimes there's great writers, Angela, or they have great characters, but the plot's just eh. Or there is no subplot, and you're like, eh. So (laughs) you're the writer, not me. I'm the sound effect girl, um, at least today. Uh, So plots and subplots, I think they're integral to the backbone of the book. But what do you think? Um, Yes and no. Don't you love it when I do that kind of an answer? (laughs) I do. I do, because you're the consummate fence straddler on some of this stuff. I I just taught a – I did a – writing clinic, and I call them a writing clinic, uh, at my local Christian bookstore, which is the Garden of Reading here in Missoula. And the reason I did it was to answer like questions like this, that are, is this the case? And the answer is yes and no. And the reason for that is there's character-driven novels. You know, there's character-driven things that maybe they want to, one of, one of my favorite educational, moral-driven um, books is actually things that are written by, like, Ogmandino, and, you know, but they're not really plot-driven. And so it's really important to discover, do you want to write something that's character-driven, something that is more like a fable, like Aesop's Fables, or, you know, something like Ogmandino, or do you want to write a novel? 
And for all intents and purposes today, we're talking about novel writing and the plots and the subplots that go with that. Even in character-driven uh, novels, you're going to have some sort of, a, of an underlying plot that's there. It's just not as noticeable twists and turns and things like that that happen. And for instance, if you're writing romance like I do, um, I'm going to be getting into in the next couple of years, we're going to be working towards some a little bit of mystery and things like that. But if you're going to write a plot, that, think of these things as moments that change the course of your life. And so if you're writing a story that has twists and turns in it, what is that bright, shining moment that changed everything for you? And what is that deep, dark moment where you hit bottom and you could do nothing else but change? And that's what a plot-driven story does with characters, is that it takes you on a journey where change is crucial, change is imminent, and an incident or a moment in time completely changes that. Does that make sense? It does. It does. It makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I think that one of the things I'm learning in this radio series, and and this is the fourth one, and you can find them on iTunes, you can find them on Tugginet Radio, uh, under Coach uh, Talk Radio, is that there are not a whole lot of absolutes in this business. (laughs) That is that is true. However, there's you know, there are a few things that I've learned along the way that I felt were seriously helpful. And that is that if you there's one that I adore and it's called The Hero's Two Journeys and it's a DVD set and it's by Michael Haug and Christopher Vogler. And I took that course at an RWA conference, I wanna say two thousand six, I'm guesstimating time here. <laughs> and and I've, uh, I get his regular um, blog posts and things like that. They have um, a wonderful blog that you can follow. And it has a lot to do with screenwriting. And the thing about it, and I think we could even get into this further and uh, later, is that you want to write visual uh, for the most part. Rarely can a book translate to screen, and a lot of writers, you know, an ultimate goal is going to be, oh, I want my book made into a movie. Oh, yes, that is a huge, huge deal for me. That's that's a big goal for me. Um, but to do that, you have to write visual, and you have to have something that's active, you know, action happening in the story. So usually, what what they tell you to do, if you're if you're thinking about it in like screenwriting terms, the first 10 minutes or so, which a page of screenwriting is equal to one minute on the screen. And so the standard is about 90 minute movie. And so you're going to have 90 pages of screenplay. And the beautiful thing about this is that it lets you have hard and fast rules that really have very little flexibility um, in the standard. And of course, every time you know the rule, then you can break it. But Usually the first 10 minutes of the first 10 pages of a movie are really setting the character in their normal and natural world. And then they're called to action in this inciting incident. Um, in a novel, that inciting incident, that something that incites the character to action, you really want to try to enter it at the very beginning of the novel. And that's what's called a hook. Now, what's, what do you say is the very beginning? Are we talking in the first 10 pages, the first five pages, the first three pages? What's considered the beginning? The first line. 
Ah, there you go. <laughs> the first line and the first paragraph. And what you're going to do then, and in a novel, because a novel has the ability to be much longer, um, in a novel, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about a tool that I got that I just adore as well. So I love that education system um, from Michael Haug, H-A-U-G-E. But I also love this. It, it's a tool that came from Carolyn Green, C-A-R-O-L-Y-N, Green, G-R-E-E-N-E. And she she created this in 1998. And I took a conference workshop, again, can you tell that I think you should go to conferences? <laughs> but I took a conference workshop, and the, this tool was handed out. And it's the three-act structure for various length stories. And what, where I'm going with this is the first ten pages in a screenplay, but in the length of a book, the, the amount of pages where you're setting the action in the middle of the action, but yet also showing the natural normal world for a character changes with the length of the of the novel so for instance um the the three-act structure with with various length stories this is a wonderful worksheet and i'll see if i can contact carolyn green and ask her permission if we can share it if not you're just going to have to learn from me here (laughs) but right now i'm in the process of writing a novella and a novella ranges 20 to 40 thousand words normally and the one that I'm writing is 20,000 words or so, and that means it's going to be about 80 pages when I'm done. So that means I'm going to write approximately seven to eight chapters, and I may have an epilogue in there just to tie up the the. Basically, it's kind of a it's a short it's a shorter novel, but it's it's a full story. So I want to put. Um, in a three-act play, which would be Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, with um, chapters 1 and 2 is Act 1. Chapters um, 3 and 4, 5 and 6 are Act 2, but then there's a little split in the middle of their first half, second half, you know, like you would put the curtains down for a moment and come back. And then Act 3 is going to be 7 and 8, or also with your epilogue. And that would be for just a novella. Now, what if you're doing a long one? Then your opening where it's the call to action in the normal world and we're beginning to love and like these characters and then we get called on to the journey, that's going to be your first three to four chapters. So it's really important to understand where and why you are in this in your story. And the way that I learned that also was called the W plot. And the W plot is fantastic because it gives you an idea of highs and lows and I think as we go into, you know, your next segment in this in this particular episode, we can get a little bit deeper into those highs and lows. And I think it's crucial to understand how it works with protagonist and how it works with an antagonist. And sometimes when I'm getting am I getting if I start to use words that are not commonly used in the language, stop me. <laughs> Well, I get, I get it. Protagonist is the good guy. Antagonist is the bad guy. What was the W thing you were talking about? The W? The W plot. And I learned this again at another writing conference in a workshop, and it took me a long time to figure it out. So then I took this class online. And it was really, truly a beautiful opportunity because what you can do um, is open up uh, just a sheet of paper. You know, um, this is something you want to draw versus do on a computer. But open up a notebook to like a sheet of paper and turn it landscape. And if it's even just a white sheet of paper or a big giant uh, cardboard 
drawing, you know, how you might draw an art on a, you know, huge, uh, I can't think of the word, but, you know, a big, a big. You know what? Uh, I hate to interrupt you. I need to take us to commercial break. But when we come back from the break, we're going to talk more about what this W plot is, because I took my my notes for today's show and I turned them landscape and I drew my W. So I can't wait to find out what that's going to mean uh, after the break. This is Sandra Beck of Coach Talk Radio. Now, we're visiting today with Angela Breidenbach, and this is the fourth in a series of writing seminars that we're providing. So you're going to want to come back after the break if you've ever dreamed of writing the great American It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. With classes starting soon, it's time to concentrate on sending our children to school, armed with nutrition and food that works for them and not against them. Starting their day off with a healthy breakfast gives them great advantages throughout the day. Feed them fresh fruit, oatmeal, eggs, whole grain toast, cheese, nuts, and yogurt. Forgo the sugary donuts, empty cereals, and Pop-Tarts. According to the American Dietetic Association, children who eat a healthy breakfast are more likely to meet daily nutrient requirements, concentrate better, have better problem-solving skills, have better hand-eye coordination, be more alert, be more creative, miss fewer days of school, and be more physically active. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Got a lead foot? According to state troopers, here's what not to do when you get pulled over. Don't be a lachrymist and start crying right away. It doesn't help. But if you're under 20, crying won't be held against you. Don't ask for a break. Don't yell or start any argy-bargy. And one trooper said, if they're going to flirt with me to get out of a ticket, it would probably insult my intelligence. But unfortunately, I don't get hit on all that often. So flirting or being a gill flirt won't work. Did you know that 15% of all drivers get 76% of all traffic tickets? And the odds of winning if you challenge a traffic ticket in court are 1 in 3. So what should you do when you get pulled over for speeding? Be courteous to the officer and most of all, be honest. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Taking care of and dolls this is sandra beck and this is coach talk radio and i am visiting today with my lovely co-host angela breidenbach and you can find more about her at angelabreidenbach.com you can also go to amazon and buy some of her books they're really great and i encourage you to do so she's also the president of christian authors network so she's got a lot to share uh, with us today about plots and subplots and when we went to the break she asked us to take a piece of paper turn it landscape and write a w on it now this is carol 
Carolyn Green. She learned this from Carolyn Green. We're hopefully going to have her on a future episode. But for right now, we want to thank her for our contribution for today's show to the W plot. Uh, Angela, tell me more about the W plot. Well, this is the coolest thing ever. And it, it really helped me to visualize how a plot needs to work. And you can expand it or, you know, contract it depending on what you need. So you start at the top of the W, and this is your entrance into the story. And this is your protagonist um, or your hero's version. And what you want to do is make sure that you write in, in just one sentence or a couple of words, what that entrance into the story is. What's your call to action? And then when you slide down the W to the very bottom point, that's a low point. And that is what changes everything in that person's world that forces them onto the journey. That's the next major plot point, right? You slide up to the tip of the middle of the W, and that is when things are going so great, you just know things are going to be wonderful for this character, they're going to get what they want, and then they take a nosedive down to the next part, and it doesn't happen, and it is like the black moment, the worst moment in the life of this character, and this is a plot point that turns it here where everything has to be given up, everything has to change, or all will fail. And then the end of the novel, of course, is you slide up and the protagonist or the hero wins, you know. And then right after the tip of that top W, you have the last, say, 30 pages or 30% of the novel where you tie up all of the extra strands. So that is the W plot in a just a nutshell. Now, here's the key to the W plot. There is also the antagonist or the villain And that is the opposing, it's like flipping the W upside down, and you have a capital M, correct? Okay, so the M plot is the villain, and the W plot is the uh, the protagonist. Right, and so what happens is the, the antagonist's moments of glory and moments of defeat are always at the exact opposite time as your protagonist or your hero. This is the simplest way to understand um, how to plot a novel. And the other thing is, now sometimes you have these really, really long sagas. Um, Sagas are really well done in, um, I want to say, sci-fi and fantasy and sometimes long historicals. Some great biblical fiction have been done in sagas. And something like um, one of my favorite authors, too, is um, Francine Rivers. And her popular, popular biblical historical novel is it's actually redeeming love and it's based on the story of um the of an old testament character who's hosea and his his very faithless wife who keeps leaving him and going back into you know the worship of the body and things like this and so and she sets this in a more um recognizable time in history for us and so the elements here are that she has taken this story and brought it into a more current historical time. And this wife just keeps, you know, going back into prostitution and back into trouble. And what Francine Rivers did was she used her testimony, wrote it into historical fiction, and then used a biblical story to do that. So she has more than one W 
plot. It's a slide up, a slide down, a slide up, a slide down. And so you can overlap that W, and then again, you're going to overlap that reverse or mirror image W, that more like the capital M, right? Got it. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I, I really, you know, this is cool. I mean, this is, I'm a visual person. So, you know, if you draw me a map, I can look at it. If you tell me things I don't understand it, but the W and the M, like you totally get it. If I'm on a high and I'm the hero, um, you know, I should be up at that point. But if my hero is at a low point, the villain has to be a high point. It's kind of like physics. Everything has an equal and opposite reaction, which really like serves my nerdy little heart. Yeah, and I feel like it really helped me because I'm also very visual, but I'm also kind of a linear thinker. And there's people like um, Randy Ingermanson, who really is a scientist and all this stuff, and he has this wonderful snowflake um, book out that it's like the figuring out a way by using a little bit of snowflake diagramming. And it's it's a really cool idea, and it works really well for a lot of different people. But... The snowflake concept is not linear, and it's more um, you start drawing circles out, almost like you're drawing a a tree. Um, Well, and that's, you know, I see that in my kids' homework. You know, they make them do these, like, thought bubbles. You know, it makes me want to shoot myself because I'm not a thought bubble person. And one of my kids is he loves the free form of these thought bubbles, and the other one just is, is... Oh, it drives them nuts. So I think the key is to find out what works for you and not to give up just because a snowflake or a, you know, like even the WM thing may not be your cup of tea. So, you know, the point of today's uh, and every episode that we do on Coach is to give you opportunities to find what works for you because there are people out there like Angela, like Carolyn Green and Michael Hogue and some of the other people, Michael Larson's book, you know, we talked about a couple of weeks ago. These are all clues to your success because other people's success leaves clues for our success. And so we talk about some of these things, Angela, because it's kind of a trial and error, especially for new writers. I, I think that's absolutely true. And I think it's really crucial to understand that just because something works for one person doesn't mean it's going to work for us, right? Um, I think that we have to try several different ways, and then we figure out our way. And it, it may be a, a combination of several people's ways. And so I've sat with Randy Ingermanson. He's kind of a night owl like I am in the middle of conferences. And we'll go down in the lobby and we'll sit and talk and talk and talk and talk for hours. And ideas just ping off the walls. And it's fantastic. And if you can do something like that and it's like brainstorm with somebody, you start to understand a little bit more about how your own brain works and how you might even plot better. But going back to a show we've done earlier in this series, one of the best tools that you could ever, ever use is the what if then. And you can what if your story to death. What if your character were to get on a plane and go, but that character is afraid of planes and that character is afraid of snakes and there is an imminent crash coming up, right? you got to make it really, really bad. And so, you know, the movie Snakes on a Plane actually appeared <laughs> because somebody... Well, and it's juicy. 
Yeah. Like that's the thing. I was in the tub the other day, you know, thinking about one of our old episodes and you can find them on coachtalkradioshow.com. You can find them on toginet.com and you can find them on iTunes. And one of the things Angela I was doing is I was doing what if on my current novel that I'm working on. And I'm like, and I remember you telling me, you know, kind of like, Sometimes people don't go big enough and they're like, you know, what if? And I was having so much fun going, what if she met an old woman? What if that old woman was a madam in the 20s? What if she slept with Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr.? I was having the best time and I'm giggling and laughing and it infused so much energy into my project. I, I just want to thank you for that kind of what if then and then to go big and have fun with it. Oh, thank you. I'm glad that worked. One of uh, my friends who uh, she just writes really entertaining novels is Kathy Macias, M-A-C-I-A-S. She's also a Christian Authors Network author, and um, she has written a lot of novels for New Hope Publishing. And what I like about her novels is there's an element of the supernatural in them. And let's ask you this question. What if God wanted you to go on a journey? But you weren't listening. And so he put an angel in your path to give you a message. Now, if we go back to the Old Testament, that did happen. Not only was the angel in the path of a prophet who was told to do do his job and go talk to a king and tell him what he was supposed to do, but he ignored what was happening. He ignored what God said. And so he made his donkey talk. You know? (laughs) That's right. There's a lot of what-if opportunities. Now, could you take something like that and put it into a fiction novel in the contemporary setting? Well, Kathy Macias did that really, really well in one of her books, and she had an old woman uh, talk to a young character and give her a bracelet. So then you start to go into the what-if, and my mind throughout this whole novel is, was she an angel, you know? (laughs) Because it's entertaining and it's fun and it and it really livens up. You know, we read a lot for escape. We le- read a lot for pleasure. We read a lot for uplifting. We read a lot to kind of restock the hope fires in our heart. At least that's why I read. And um, it's also relaxing. And when somebody can really entertain me and make me laugh right out loud or start to cry, you know, that writer's really done their job. Yep, I agree completely. All right, I need to take us to commercial break. So we talked about Kathy Macias. Look at her books for New Hope Publishing. Uh, Michael Hogue, Carolyn Green, all neat people to look up. Look up Angela Breidenbach and and look at some of her books because what I find is when I have authors on my shows, I like to buy their books and I like to look and see did they put their money where their mouth is. And it's always great to see their own advice right there in the pages. So uh, Angela Breidenbach, you can check her out. You can Google her there's not a whole lot of bride and box out there so we're thankful for that this is power i'm sorry this is coach talk radio i almost uh talked about my sister show powered up talk radio which airs on tuesdays you guys can check that out as well uh when we come back from the break we're going to talk a little more about subplots and and plots and you know kind of the emotional winning and losing of our characters and i always have a hard time writing the black moment so i really want to talk about that with angela when we come back from the break
study finds the happiest couples sleep the closest together, as in less than an inch apart. A survey of 1,000 couples found that 86% of those who kept such close perimeters reported they were satisfied with their relationship. Only 66% of couples who slept 30 inches apart or more reported being completely happy in their marriage. What's the word for getting up on the wrong side of the bed? Metutalipia. Another predictor of relationship happiness is touch. While 94% of couples who made physical contact throughout the night reported a happy relationship, just 68% of couples who kept their distance did the same. What's the word for the semi-conscious state between sleep and wakefulness? Hypnopompic. It's marching day. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Some think that dessert is a naughty word, but it doesn't have to be. If you are a dessert lover, you will be happy to know that there are good choices that you can make so you can satisfy your sweet tooth and your after-dinner ritual of having dessert. Aim for low-calorie choices like low-fat Greek yogurt or 100-calorie popcorn. Both of these will fill you up and satisfy your yearning for dessert. There are also many good choices in the freezer section. Weight Watchers make several good dessert options. They are delicious and very satisfying. Placing fresh berries over low-calorie angel food cake is delicious and nutritious. Sorbet, frozen grapes, baked apples, and chocolate-covered strawberries are all delectable. Choose healthy, low-calorie desserts and indulge. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Taking care of business every day. Taking care of business every way. Taking care of business. It's all mine. Taking care of business. Working overtime. Taking care of business. Hey, guys and dolls. This is Sandra Beck, and this is number four in our writing series. And we're talking today about plots and subplots with Angela Breidenbach. Now, we were talking before the break about the M and the W. So if you have missed these, we need to get you guys on iTunes or Coach Talk Radio on toginet.com to find some other episodes or to listen to the earlier part of today's show. And Now we're going to talk about this black moment, the dark moment. That's the hardest thing that I find to write, um, Angela, because all hope is lost. You know, it's just and it's so hard to do that to these characters that I've fallen in love with, you know, that I've been spending all this time with while I write my story. Yeah, it really is. And we have to it's a lot of people call it kill your darlings, um, but you don't really have to kill anybody to make a plot twist like that happen in your book i mean you may be writing something completely different that's not that deep and dark it might be a light fluffy you know romance but at that moment um you are about two-thirds of the way through the book and whatever goal your character is after whatever it is that they really really desperately want it has to appear or feel like they can never have it And then you as the writer, this is where it gets really difficult because you have to what if yourself out of that corner that you've just written yourself into on purpose. (laughs) And that's where I really think it's it's helpful to um, do the what if game, but also to get with other people and to read like crazy 
and then this is where, you know, we'll talk about this in a, in a later episode, but where research can come in because it may be some element that the common man doesn't know about that you can use to come out of there. Um, but what you don't want to do in the dark moment is have some God miracle come in and solve everything without a struggle. And that is sometimes what happens in an uneducated um, author's experience in some of their first-time novels is they don't realize they can't have just this miracle happen because there has to be some sort of logical reason it occurs. And if you are introducing a new character, what you might call a savior character or anything like that, they can't just show up at that moment in the book and figure it out or create some miracle that happens, or even impart some special knowledge. There has to be some relationship with that character coming along into that dark moment. We have to have met them somehow earlier in the story so that we Well, yeah, because then we feel cheated. You know, it's like, it's like, remember when we were little and my mom used to watch Dallas and there was like a whole season and then we find out like it was like, I don't know if it was a dream. (laughs) Yeah, it was like, oh, the whole past year was a dream. So we're just moving on. And everybody was like, well, that sucks. You know, we just invested in all this and you're going to cheap out saying, oh, it was just a dream. Yeah, yeah. I would love to know if somebody has ever done a novel where, you know, you you put people in an alternate dimension or something like that. And it's really kind of an interesting story. And um, I we mentioned um, Stargate being one of my favorite like sci-fi fantasy shows and on TV and things like that. But um, they end up in like alternate um, dimensions and alternate worlds and things like this through a variety of different ways. But wouldn't it be cool? Not just um, Alice in the Looking Glass, but honestly to have you could see if you could figure out a way to go through an entire book and the dark moment is when they realize they've been in looking in a mirror the whole time but if you're going to do something like that there has to be little um, subconscious or they're written in there but things that add up in in the reader's mind subconsciously so you can't just oh it's all just a mirror you know, well, right, like M. Night Shyamalan's, um, you know, when when, you know, certain things happened and it was red and, you know, you look at his movies and there's always little clues. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's fun to try to figure it out because it engages you in the plot in a much different way as opposed to just enjoying it unfold. You're kind of like thinking, hmm, like, what is he doing here? Why is that there? And um, right. I like, and I don't know if it was Hemingway, somebody said, uh, you know, if you put a gun in the first chapter, you better be prepared to fire it by the end of the book. And Exactly. I thought that was such a neat, um, you know, kind of a neat thing. But you can't fire a gun, you know, conversely, you can't fire a gun at the end of the book that was never in the book. Right. And never in the room and never in their hand. And so there's a there's a lot of things that are really important to building up to that, not just the dark moment but the way out of the dark moment. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize. And then that dark moment, again, is about two-thirds of the way through a novel. And so that's going to be an, a crucial thing to be aware of. But if you're writing a screenplay, it's it's going to be about 60 pages. That's where, you know, that's going to happen if you're doing a regular 90-minute movie. And so being aware of where that's going to happen, um, this is where when we start plotting, one of the things I adore doing is skeleton plotting. And that's where I take the length of the book that I expect to make 
And so let's say I'm going to do a 70 to 80,000 word long book, and that's going to be 280 to 320 pages. So let's just go with 300 pages and let's go with 20 chapters. So if we're going to have a 300 page, 20 chapter book, then I can write one to two sentences at the head of each chapter that tells me where that chapter's going. Now, does this make me a plotter or a pantser? It's actually both. And for me, it's the best of both worlds because it gives me an idea where I'm going, but it doesn't make me write the words or tell exactly how that happens. And that allows me the freedom of play as an author, the freedom of creativity. And what if, oh, what if comes up that is better than the one I thought of? It gives me flexibility to change it out. And I've done that uh, in A Healing Heart, which came out from Abingdon Press in The Quilts of Love. It was a contemporary romance. And it's I did that, and I realized as I had plotted out the book, and as I'm writing it, I suddenly realized I did not have a segue from one chapter to the next. It would come out of the blue and have nothing there. By doing that, I could see where the plot hole was, and I could go back and add a chapter in. Does that make sense? Well, right. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I saw when I worked at Disney and CBS, this this screenwriter um, and, you know, he had his novel. He was he was or he was helping the screenwriter. And it was really a neat process to watch. And he had these index cards and they were kind Uh of just what you talked about. They were these index cards where he had written like what was going to go on either in that scene or the chapter. I'm not exactly sure how he broke it down, but he was there with the writers and the plot people and everybody. And they kept moving the these cards around the table and as right. a visual person I was like oh if they move that scene earlier it sets up this if they do that mm-hmm. and I think that that is a lot of fun um, to do because it's really hard like you know if you're good with um, you know like kind of uh, outline format you can you know just copy and paste and move stuff around but I thought that index card thing with colored um he kept the different plot lines in a different color like the romance section part was red and it advanced forward mm-hmm. and it was kind of neat you just opened up exactly what we needed to go into what a great segue so Ooh. you got your w plot right yep. you can do this a couple different ways let's say you want to be able to work on it right on your desk just a small thing right in front of you you can use colored pencils to write in the different types of plot lines, you know, the, the plot points, the changes that are going to happen. You can use different colored pencils for different characters so you see how many times they end up in the book, you know, because if you have a subplot coming on and you're going to do a mini version of that greater um, W and then mirror W or the M plot, um, you're going to do a mini version of that for your subplot. But here's what you can do if you really want to get uh, fancy with it, and I love doing this actually, is you can take a giant poster board, which is the word I was thinking of at the beginning of the show, and on that giant poster board, you can take different color sticky notes, and you can actually write the sentence or the plot point or the characters. Maybe there's a word or or a phrase you need said that's crucial to the plot or crucial to solving the mystery, you know, and you can move those, uh, you can draw the big W and the big upside down W or M onto this giant um, poster board or even a whiteboard with markers. And then you can use those different color sticky notes and the words that are on them and move them around that plot so that you can kind of see where they're, where they're coming in at and how you might need to move them. And something else that's really helpful is to realize that your subplot, whatever it is, has to somehow mirror the greater plot or the characters of that greater plot. 
And if it doesn't, then it kind of, it doesn't follow along with the thematically with the book. Wow. I mean, that is amazing. So can you walk us through one of your plots? Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, Bitter at Bride that came out in um, this last spring. Um, it is, it is a story of Emily Warren and she is a notorious prostitute. And so we open with her, her regular world and in her regular world, she is walking down the street be- to get to the bank. And people are not looking at her, ignoring her, except one man on a horse who's catcalling her because he knows who she is, even though she's dressed very respectably. And I know that what's going to happen is that within a few pages, we're going to learn that she's now widowed from a rich miner. Everybody wanted Miss Emmy's body. And now they want her money. So that's the opening, and that's her real world. And I know that you have to go to break, so I'll hold off on the rest of the plot for when we come back. <laughs> I know, but it's so fascinating because, like, I could see the M, I could see the W, I got the concept of the different color post-its. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do you do you make notes down first, or do you start right on the post-its? And, I, you know, we've only got a couple minutes before right. break, but... You know, where does that fit in your like in your writing process? Um, You know, what I really try to do first is write a sentence to find out who that character is. And once I find out who that character is, I ask what is the what is the most thing that she wants or he wants? And what is the worst thing that could happen to him or her in order to stop them from getting what they want? And those become my major plot points. And all the rest leads up or and then leads to the conclusion of that. Love that. All right. I need to take us to commercial break. This is Coach Talk Radio with Sandra Beck. This is our writing series on plots and subplots. We're visiting today with Angela Breidenbach. You can check her out at AngelaBreidenbach.com. I'd like to tell you one of my favorite books is 20 Master Plots by Ronald Tobias, which is available on Amazon. Now, all of the products that we're talking about, nobody has paid any endorsement fees. There's not any marketing going on here. They're just products that both Angela and I really uh, have found valuable. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk more about how to start our plot and plotting of our novel. some fun facts about noses and ears I'll bet you didn't know. Did you know your ears secrete more earwax when you're afraid than when you aren't? And generally, people with asthma have better hearing than those who don't. Now, here's a word for you. When someone gets their ears pierced, they're actually piercing their pinna. The pinna is the fleshy part of the earlobe. Did you know it's possible to sneeze so hard you can break a rib? That happened to my husband's secretary once. And according to research, you'll blow your nose 250 times this year. Scientists have also determined that the smell in your right nostril is more pleasant, while the smell in your left nostril is more accurate. 
By the way, twice as many men as women can wiggle their ears. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Howdy folks and welcome to News of the Odd. The notorious catching a bullet in your mouth magic trick has sent at least 15 magicians to their graves. It all started in the 1600s when a magician claiming to be capable of the feat was attacked and beaten to death by a spectator who suspected him of demonic allegiances. Two copycat magicians later killed a son and a wife by accidentally using real bullets instead of blanks a mistake repeated by several magicians to follow. In two more cases, the stunt was sabotaged, once when an audience member put nails in the gun, and once when an angry wife loaded the gun with real bullets. The curse of the bullet catch has scared many magicians into not performing the stunt. But come on, if you die while trying to catch a bullet in your mouth, can it really be said you died from a curse? Some fates are worse than death. Consider the fate of the famous magician Chung Ling Su, who was injured by shrapnel on stage during this bullet catch technique and whisked to the hospital. There it was discovered that he was not Asian, but an American masquerading as Asian to gain exotic prestige. I'm sure he had a lot to answer for when he felt better. Stay tuned to astronetradio.com for more news of the odd. Guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck, and this is Coach Talk Radio, and this is the fourth in our writing series. And today we're talking about plots and master plots. And when we went to the break, um, Angela was talking to us a little bit about plot and how she plots things out. Now, what's the name of the book you're talking about so that anybody listening uh, can get a copy and follow along? This one is called Bitter at Bride. And it's available, it's actually going to be coming out on audio later this year, but it's available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. And it is in the um, American Flower series from Forget-Me-Not Romances. And it's actually a part of a, a five novella series that I've done on the real history of Montana. And then I take fictional characters and I put them into something that is historically accurate about Montana. And in this case, it was about how Montana got the bitter at flower. Well, now figuring out how Montana got its bitter at flower is not as fascinating when you're reading the really, really dry floral emblem club notes. <laughs> <laughs> but when you put it into a character like Emily Warren, who was a prostitute and prostitution was really, really big in Montana in the 1880s and 1890s. And in fact, you know, of course for, for a long time, um, our last, um, let's just say our last infamous house uh, actually continued in Helena until the 1960s or 70s. 
it was it was quite uh, enthralling history for Montana. And so in this particular plot, I'm taking a character who probably could have existed and then putting her into the plot of how um, Montana got the bitter at flower as as our state um, flower. And what happens with Emily Warren is that she is beautiful. She's famous. She doesn't want to be famous for that reason. And so the very first word, the very first sentence in the book is infamous, period. That's it. That's the first sentence. And the point is to give you a sense of the heaviness of the load, you know, that she carries. And it says she couldn't walk down a street in town without drawing attention, even fully clothed. Now, doesn't that kind of make you want to figure out what in the world is going on with this woman? But now what happens is we find out that she's a widow and she's walking to the bank because she has been um, suddenly taken on as a, I'm sorry, her, her husband's partner has suddenly tried to take over the entire business and take all of her money. Well, the money was a big thing for her, not because she wanted to be rich, but because she was trying to leave and start her life over where no one knew her. If she could start her life over, if she could hide all of those things from her past, she could be happy. Now, isn't that pretty universal to a lot of us? We want to get rid of those mistakes we made in our past. Well, what we find out is that in this plot, she meets Richard Lewis, a lawyer, who's going to help her save her business. And in this discussion, we find out the reason that she signed something that gave this guy total control was because she cannot read. And so she goes on a journey to learn how to read. And what she's learning to read is the newspaper and then eventually the Bible and the dictionary and all these different things that this wonderful lawyer sees value in her and he starts to give her the gift of really important books in her life. And as she starts to learn to read, she joins a club and in that club are people that accept her for just who she is and we find out a little bit about them because they're from past books in this series and I I call it the Montana Beginnings series even though it's written for other publishers. As she learns how to read she gets fascinated with the flora and fauna of Montana and joins this club where women allow her to be herself but they invite her to church And she doesn't feel worthy of walking into church. They're going to, you know, they're going to judge her. (laughs) And so we go through this journey of finding respectability, finding a sense of acceptance in herself. And then the black moment comes along. Everything has been stolen. Everything has been taken. And she's being ostracized by a certain element of the community. And she wants to run away. When that happens, she has to find a way to come to terms with it, and she has to find a way to move forward. But she could never fall in love, right? And then she does. And so it's different things like that that we do with the plot twists and her whole goal of running away. And when everything is saved and she's able to get her business back and she's able to get her money back so that she can sell the business and run away, Now she's faced with the fact that she's fallen in love with Richard Lewis. And she has to choose between a life that hides her past and allows her to go on with no one ever knowing that she was this infamous prostitute in a different city, in a different place, or 
stay where she is and be who she is and allow that change to be a part of her life. And she chooses to run. That's my black moment. So that is um, where Bitterroot Bride leaves off. Um, I can't tell you the end of it because then you wouldn't want to buy the book. (laughs) I'm like, oh, no, what happens? What does she do? (laughs) So it's it's really fun for me to, to write plots like that that take um, an element that is a universal interest, a universal feeling or emotion, and then put those into characters that are experiencing the real world. And so it, to me, that, that book is a very short way to see the W plot and how it works out. And a very short, and you, the antagonist is, of course, her, her dead husband's business partner. But it could be a, one of the ones that a lot of people use often to understand antagonist as simply that role is like the man in the sea. That old story, the man in the sea, or um, the perfect storm, they're really up against nature as the antagonist, man against nature. So it starts to get really important. Is it man against man? Is it man against nature? Is it heart against heart? You know, um, and then you start to bring in, is there a third party? Uh, is it a love triangle? You know, and is the love triangle the antagonist or is that simply a a, a subplot that's happening and the real antagonist is, for instance, the desire to run away from your past. So there's there's different things that you have to be aware of when you're writing that. And then you have to let that antagonist, whether it's nature, whether it's another, you know, character, um, or a circumstance, you have to let that antagonist be built up as a big character. They have to be equal to your protagonist character. Right. That makes sense. You know, because one of the things that I find, especially in, you know, in in romances that I really like, you know, there's some that are like, you know, when, oh, somebody says a lie and then that, you know, that breaks down their relationship. And, you know, I, I'm that, that to me is like cheaping out. But I like when the lie has reason behind it or there's, you know, something, you know, nefarious at play. And then now it's the character has to battle her own trust. And, right. you know, that's where, you know, like the the kind of some the the, the semi antagonist is the liar but the real antagonist is the, our human nature and our resistance to trust so that's that's really cool that answered a lot of how i was trying to figure out like who's really the antagonist here or what's really the antagonist here and it's really interesting too that sometimes you can make the antagonist appear you can make a red herring out of it and the plot twist at the end that can be a wonderful surprise is that that wasn't really the antagonist at all. It was just built up in the protagonist's mind. But again, you then have to have planted the seeds for that flower to bloom later in the novel. Right. Absolutely. Like a woman can't trust and, you know, the can't trust is it. And, you know, it's because she's been betrayed or she's been mm-hmm. cheated on or her mother cheated on her dad or dad cheated on mom, whatever. Right. You've got to set those things up for it to be believable. Oh, my gosh. This has been so much fun. I have learned so much about plot and subplot. What's your best piece of advice for someone who's plotting out their first novel? Um, make it visual. Like we've said, use use something like the W plot. 
And I really would watch something like the Heroes 2 Journeys DVD set. It's a little more pricey, but maybe you can borrow it from someone or borrow it from the library or find ways of um, doing it as a group and getting together with a critique group and then talking it out. But I think really understanding that opposing view of the protagonist and the antagonist and then understanding that it needs to happen approximately a third of the way for a big plot change. And then halfway through the book, there's a minor plot change. Then the two thirds of the way is the big, big, you know, black moment um, when all is lost. I think if you can understand some of those things, then you can start to understand um, what it is that people get carried through the story and continue on turning wow. the page. I yeah. Finish. Now there's a book called Heroes to Journey um, yeah. that you know, people can go out and buy and um, uh, the mythic structure. I don't know. You'll have to look it up. There um, are so many. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to have a whole list of tools and products that we'll put up online um, so that everybody can see some of these. This doesn't mean this is the end all of all the lists ever of every tool and craft book you ever need, but it, we can at least get you started. Right, exactly. Because, you know, writing is a craft, writing is a skill. It's not like you just sit down and pop all this stuff out and expect to have a bestseller. There mm -hmm. are tips and tricks and tools of the trade, and there are success uh, stories that leave clues, and it's up to us to uh, do our homework. It's up to us to practice. Um, yep. This has been an amazing episode of Plots and Subplots. My guest and co-host today is Angela Breidenbach. You can find The Bitterroot Bride at AngelaBreidenbach.com on Amazon. It's very exciting to, to take somebody's book after you've heard them and then see it actually in action, which is really exciting. Now, we're going to come back next week, and we're going to also visit with Kathy Ide, and we're going to talk about editing and proofreading. And I just heard everybody go, ooh. Oh, it's so fun. That's so fun. So you're going to want to tune in next week to find out how we can make it fun and how fun it can be. This is Sandra Beck from Coach Talk Radio. We'll see you next week. We want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques from Coach Talk Radio.